you're wondering about whether or not to do that right now, let me announce that I'm going to be preaching on tithing today. All of a sudden, everybody gets their phone out. And like, yeah, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to do that right now. Now, I want to say this about that. I was so appreciative last Sunday of Pastor Garrett's message of just being able to cast the vision for the church plant that we're going to do uh, and going to be working on throughout this year, the heart of church planting, he called it. And I'm grateful that God has given that heart this year in this time to this people, right? I'm excited about what lies ahead for HRCC this year. We're going to be doing a lot of work in 2021 about preparing and, and, and planting, becoming a planting church. Much of this year is going to be about preparation. We talked about it last fall, but we're going to be doing a lot of work this year. So we got a lot of praying to do. I told you about, again, prayer meeting tonight. We've got a lot of logistical decision making. Uh, we don't have a site chosen. We, we're looking at a couple of specific communities, but the Lord hasn't, uh, hasn't helped us decide finally on, on all of those things. Uh, we're going to be developing a core team for the church plant, right? You can't just open a church. A church is people. It's not a building. It's people. We need the people that are going to be a part of that church plant. And of course, of course, of course, part of that is going to be fundraising. We are going to be working this year on fundraising. We've had a lot of discussions, Garrett and I have, the deacons and I have, about how we're going to do that, especially the fundraising part. And one of the components, spoiler alert, right? We just got done with a series on spoiler alerts, so here's your spoiler alert for this morning. One of the components is we are going to be asking the existing HRCC family to donate specifically toward the church plant this year. Uh, I'm going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. And then beginning in March, we're going to have a, a vehicle for you to do that for the next 12 months following that. We intend to do that and, and we'll, we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. But in preparing for that, I realized that we have not talked, which is to say I have not preached or taught about what the Bible says about finance in quite some time. And as a result, I can certainly identify and recognize that on the whole, for our church, we have some gaps in our discipleship in that area. And I just feel like trying to launch what for us during my pastorate will be the biggest fundraising initiative we've ever had, trying to do that without first addressing some of the existing gaps would be foolish. And the image I had was it would be like diving into the deep end of the pool when you're still not really comfortable dog paddling without your floaties in the shallows. And if you're having trouble picturing that, I, I have, there you go. This was the image that came to mind. And every time I look at this girl about to go in belly flop first, that hurts me to look at that picture. Does anybody else? Like there's the pain of the belly. I speak from experience here. But I just see that lower jaw go like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do that to my church. I don't, I don't want this to be us. I don't want this to be us. Church, let's not do that. Let's not belly flop here. Let's not jump into the deep end of the pool until we figure out what we need to do about uh, the dog paddling in the, in the shallow end. Let's shore things up. And when it comes to, you know, getting things in order, like what I'm talking about now as it pertains to finances, it really just all starts with the practice of tithing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you've been in church for a while, I'm sure you've heard messages about tithing. You've heard the term. Many of us already are familiar with the concept. And I am grateful to report that there are many in the HRCC that practice tithing. 
But I've also found in general that there is a lot of bad information out there on tithing. And that's specifically what I wanted to address today. For example, some people don't realize that the concept of tithing isn't something that we just made up. They think it's like some sort of fundraising buzzword that churches use, and it's not that at all. There's a story to tithing, and that's where I wanna start today. There's a story to tithing. You probably know that the word tithe means to give 10%. So when we look for tithing in the Bible, depending on your particular translation, the word tithe is an English word. It's not a Hebrew word, it's not a Greek word, it's an English word. And so depending on your particular translation, you might look for the word tithe or you might look for stories that reference 10%, but there's definitely a biblical story to tithing. It starts very early in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Abram did it. Genesis chapter 12, near the very beginning of the Bible is where we meet Abram. In Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham to be his instrument. I like that word conduit. That's kind of what God was doing with Abram. He said, I'm gonna use you to bless a whole lot of people. He basically took Abram and said, I'm I'm gonna make you something despite the fact that you're nothing. I'm gonna make something out of nothing. Two chapters later in our Bible, in Genesis chapter 14, Abram has become something. He's become wealthy, he's become powerful. He's seeing the promise of God beginning to take root and be fulfilled in his life. And he recognizes that all of his needs are provided for. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram meets a really mysterious character, a priest of God by the name of Melchizedek, who appears only in that chapter, although the rest of the Bible repeatedly refers back to Melchizedek, a very, very important character. And Melchizedek comes to Abram and blesses him. He proclaims the blessing of God. He recognizes that God is using Abram uniquely. And as an instrument of God, he proclaims that blessing over Abram. And in response to that blessing, Genesis chapter 14, verse 20 tells us, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And that's our first reference to tithing. That's our ground zero in the story of tithing. A couple of generations later, we get to know Abram's grandson, a man by the name of Jacob. We find out that not only did Grandpa Abram do it, but Jacob did it as well. Jacob was kind of a wanderer. One night, Jacob was out in the wilderness and God spoke to him in a dream, a supernatural vision that he had. God spoke to him and affirmed his relationship with Jacob and his commitment to provide for him as one of the inheritors or the heirs of the promise he had made to his grandpa Abram. And when Jacob woke up, he responded to that dream. He recognized God's hand on him. And we can read about it in Genesis chapter 28. I think your notes on the screen say chapter 29. That's because I did a typo when I sent it on to Kelly. But it is chapter 28. In Genesis 28 verses 20, it says, Then Jacob made a vow saying, Lord, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Abram did it. Jacob did it. And the Israelites, they patterned their society after the lives of Abraham and Jacob. So we shouldn't be surprised that over time, the tradition of tithing stayed alive. And as a matter of fact, generations later, when they received the law from God in the days of Moses, we find out with regards to tithing that the law commanded it. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, this is God's word now, a tithe of everything from the land, whether from grain or the soil or the fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every 10th animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, they will be holy to the Lord. A 10th was God's, that was a matter of the law. 
So the story of the tithe, Abram did it, Jacob did it, the law commanded it. It would remain for centuries, centuries. Now this is where some Christians today, I think, get a little bit fuzzy on the story of the tithe. Some of us presume that it's an Old Testament principle. It's part of the Jewish law and not Christianity. It's it's not really relevant to the Christian life, but that's not the case because though Abram did it and Jacob did it, and though the Old Testament law commanded it, read the gospels and we find out that Jesus upheld it. Jesus upheld it. You probably know that Jesus often argued and debated with the religious folks, right? We we already referenced that this morning. He debated often, especially with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a particular sect of Judaism and their, their jam was that they adhered to the letter of the law. They were very, very legalistic. They followed the letter of the law. And so of course that includes, included tithing. And Jesus, in a debate with the Pharisees one day, he said, you know, you guys are so proud of your tithing habit, but you have ignored, you've completely ignored the matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Like, it's great that you're tithing, guys, but you've ignored the heart issues, the justice, the mercy, and the faithfulness. But look at this, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he says this, you should have practiced the latter. In other words, you should have practiced justice and mercy and faithfulness without neglecting the former. So I want you to have a good heart, but that doesn't mean you're not going to tithe, right? You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus upholds, upholds excuse me, the tradition of tithing, and it has continued because of that to be a part of church life today. And there's a reason for that, actually several reasons that tithing has remained a part of church life today. In other words, there's a purpose to tithing. There's a purpose. It has a reason. It has a function. Historically, one important reason is that tithes support workers. In ancient Israel, they were divided into 12 tribes. And the tribe of Levi was the tribe that had kind of the ancestral duty of doing the work at the temple. They were the ones who facilitated worship, not just at the temple, but throughout the entire nation, throughout the land. And because of their unique God-defined role as Levites, as members of the tribe of Levi, because of that, they were forbidden from owning land, which meant typically they weren't able to grow crops or farm herds or raise livestock or anything like that. They weren't able to participate in the economy the way their brothers participated in the economy. So God instituted tithes as a way of supporting them. Leviticus chapter 18, God says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving. And the question has come up, it's important. The Levites were instructed in the Bible, don't just take the tithes. You guys got to do what everybody else does. You got to tithe. So when the Levites received their compensation, they too tithed. People sometimes ask me, so do you tithe? Because like we tithe to the church and then the church pays you, do you tithe? The answer is yes, the Levites tithe, the pastors tithe, the missionaries tithe, amen, Jay? We tithe, right? This is part of the way it's supposed to work. Most churches, including HRCC, function this way today. The tithes of the people become the paycheck for the church workers. And so you do the math, if a tithe is one-tenth of a salary, that means it takes 10 tithing households 
to pay one worker in the church, right? And that's how churches pay their employees. Of course, it's not just about the workers. It'd be pretty self-serving of me to preach a message if it was just about paying the workers, right? It's not just about paying the workers. The Bible says tithes support the needy. Deuteronomy chapter 26, part of the law that's instituting tithes and how they're supposed to work. God says, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce, in other words, when you're tithing, you shall give it to the Levite. Well, we just talked about that, right? But look what else he says. He says, you shall give it to the Levite and the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that they might eat in your towns and be satisfied. Foreigner, fatherless, and widow. Now, in ancient cultures, these are the needy people. These are the people that didn't have any other means of supporting themselves. In ancient cultures, your extended family was your means of support. So if you were an alien living in the land with no family, if you were an orphan, if you were a widow, you had no means of supporting. And so the tithes went to support needy people. Now, notice, it doesn't say to God's people, so keep your eyes peeled for foreigners, orphans, and widows, and if you happen to see any, take up a collection and do your best to address it. Now it says, make a habit of paying your tithe regularly so that the necessary funds are available. Most churches still function this way today, right? We have benevolence funds for needy families within our congregation. We have in-house ministries that address specific needs. We support ministries like urban outreach that are focused primarily on needy people. This is all based on the tithes that we pay. And lastly, I think the Bible shows us another function for tithes. The tithes fund the worship service. Much later in the history of, of Israel, in the book of Nehemiah, the Israelites, having been separate from Jerusalem, having been, held, having been held in captivity for many, many years, were released to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild their city, rebuild their nation, rebuild their way of life. We're actually going to be talking about that period of their history over the course of the next nine or ten weeks on different matters. But in, in Nehemiah chapter 10, as they return to rebuild, God says this, the people of Israel are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil, in other words, their tithe, to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are also kept. And then Nehemiah writes down what appears to be their motto, their marketing slogan in those days. It says, we will not neglect the house of God. We will not neglect the house of God. And that's because tithes fund the functions of worship. And again, this, this is, we still do it. This is part of the story. This is how tithes function today. The costs associated with keeping the worship service functional, maintaining the property, paying the utilities, furnishing the building, doing the things that we do as we come together and worship. All of these things are dependent on tithes. They're part of the function or the purpose of tithes. But I think that probably everything I've said to this point, are you done doing your QR code now? That was the boring part that I said you could skip over, right? Everything, everything that I've said to this point, for most of us, I think is pretty self-explanatory. Whether we participate it or not, we get it. It's from the Bible, churches uphold it. There's reasons, Danny's gotta get his paycheck, all of that kind of stuff. We get it, it's logical. It's self-explanatory. But where it gets more difficult is understanding how tithing is supposed to work. 
and how God expects his people to tithe. Most Christians I know by nature are good people, generous people, right? That's part of the hallmark of what it is to have a a heart after Christ. There's an inherent generosity to most, to many. They want to give. And when they, they have the means to give to church, they're eager to do so. But if God's plan was as simple as just saying, make sure that you donate whatever you can to your church, if that was God's plan, he, he would have said that, right? He would have said that, but he didn't. That's not what he said. He specifically instructed us to tithe. So we need to understand how that is supposed to work. We need to understand that there is a method to tithing. There's a way this works. There's a lot of ways that it doesn't work, but there's a way that this works. There's a method to tithing. The method starts with an understanding of what it means to tithe. I already referenced this, but it's, it's got to be the starting point here. A tithe means 10%. A tithe means 10%. It was actually pretty systematic in the ancient world. It's complicated today. People, well, are we net? Are we gross? Are we before tax, after tax? Is, is uh, my retirement, is that tithe deferred? How about the gas I spent on the way to church? Is that tithe deductible? You know, like we, we get, make it very, very complicated. Uh, but in the ancient world, it was really, really systematic. For example, the shepherds. When it was time for the shepherds to tithe, they would line their flocks up more or less in random so that the flocks could pass single file through a gate. And 10% of the flock went to God. The shepherd didn't get to pick which lambs, which, which, which goats. It was just one out of every 10. Listen to what Leviticus says. I actually already read part of this, but now hear it again. Every tithe of the herd and the flock, every 10th animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, that's the one. That will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. So you picture the shepherd there with his flock and he's just like, one, you go there. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, head that way. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, twenty-one, head that way. He gets up to thirty-one, he's like, oh, come on, that was my best lamb. You know, but that's, God says that's just the way it's going to go. We're, we're going to do a systematic ten percent, and that's how I want you to handle the tithe. We're, we're sometimes tempted to approach tithing from, from kind of that legalistic standpoint. Like I said, right? We, we get into the nitty gritty of well, what's included and, and what's not. And sometimes we say, well, I don't tithe on my paycheck. So instead I'm going to volunteer more. I'm, I'm going to do other things, you know, to kind of offset the fact that I'm not tithing right now. And look, I'm not calling anybody out. Those are good things. That's part of that heart of generosity that I talk about. I don't want anybody to feel guilt because they volunteer a little bit more or they, they, they get involved a little bit more. I just want to call out what the Bible says. The Bible says, well, that's good, but it's not the same as tithing. We've entered a different category here. That's not tithing. Tithe means give God 10%. No one may pick out the good from the bad. No one may make any substitution. It means give God 10%. It means lining up everything we have, just like the ancient shepherd would, and making sure that God gets 10th. And which 10th does he get? Well, when it comes to tithing, the Bible says he gets the first. We need to pay it first. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 2 
take some of the first fruits of all the, the produce from the soil of the land. And this word first fruits becomes very similar to tithe. It becomes interchangeable in some cases with what the tithe is. First fruits is a word that for the farmers was a very literal term. It meant the very first harvest of the year. So the first thing that you do when you begin to get your income as an ancient farmer, the first thing you're going to do is pay your tithes. So the idea is for us, when it comes to financial management, God wants us to make the tithe a priority. Before we think about other kinds of charitable giving, before we think of other kinds of financial support that we're going to get involved in, God's saying, number one, tithe. I have a picture that I put together and put on the screen. It's meant to look a little bit like a pile of bricks. And I think this is the way people sometimes think about their financial stewardship and their giving habits. And there's so many things, right? Like hardly a week goes by that the pastor isn't yammering on about, we're going to raise funds to some church plant, or we want to give to this missionary, or we want to do this. Plus you got stuff at home, there's charities, there's ministries, there's good things. Can we just acknowledge like there is no end to the number of good things that we can do with our finances. Nobody's saying any of this is bad. When we look at that, we say, well, there's offerings we can give to our church. There's missions giving. There's tithes. There's ministries I can support. There's charities I want to support. There's special projects I can use my finances to get behind. And these feel like a mosaic of all of these bricks. But you can see on the picture, it's, it's kind of hard to get them to line up. And, and, and we're, we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that. I, I want to tell you, as I read the Bible, this is not the model. This is not what this looks like to make the tithe a priority. Show me the next picture. So tithe becomes the foundation. The other, the other mound of bricks wasn't built on any foundation, so it's never going to be stable. It's never going to be secure. But God says, make the tithe a priority. Make that the foundation. And then, once the foundation is built, you can begin to build on that. As you have ability, as you have desires, the Holy Spirit moves on you to say, hey, I want, to give, I want you to give a little extra over here. You can begin to support ministries or special projects, charities, missionaries, all of these other things. But there's a way that that's never going to work real well unless you have the foundation in place. Unless you have the foundation in place. I don't think that we have to get too, too legalistic about the idea of paying our tithes first. I'm not one who would say, well, you gotta make sure it's literally the first check you write or literally the first donation you make. It's okay if you wanna pay your electric bill before you write your tithe check, as long as you really are developing this foundation with your finances of tithing. But I do think that this first fruits idea, this priority idea, what it really means is that when we plan our budgets, we need to plan to tithe, right? I can tell you that at home, when the Martinson family, when we do our budgets, we you know calculate our income, look at our sources of income, and then we look at our expenses, the very first line item on our expense in our budget, every time we do it is tithe, right there, 10%, and it goes. It's the priority, it's the very first thing. If we didn't plan to tithe, I'm just telling you about the Martinsons here, if we didn't plan to tithe, we wouldn't tithe. Right? So we plan to tithe. We make it the first thing there. And when we prioritize our spending, then we need to account for what's already God's. That means I might not have as much for lattes as, as I might otherwise want because I need to understand where the priorities. Now, 
I want to give you a testimony here of God's goodness and grace. I don't like lattes. So Starbucks is not eating into my tithing habit the way it has for some of, some of the others. But you need to cast that demon out. The Lord has, has relieved me of the burden of Starbucks, right? That's not a problem for me. But uh, I have a few other vices. I have a few other vices. And I just need to be aware of those things. I need to plan and, and, and prioritize my tithe before I look at my spending. And when things are tight, right? Because we go through seasons when things are tight. I have found that those are the times when I do need to be legalistic. I went through, before I became your pastor, I went through a period of over a year where I was out of work. I was working part-time jobs and odd jobs and I'd play the piano somewhere, maybe get a check here, maybe get a little bit there. And that was the season in my life where the minute I got that check, I went right to my bank account and tithed on it because things were tight and it would have been too easy to say, Okay, I'm just going to put that in there and I'll catch up with my tithes later. I knew I couldn't afford to do that. When things are tight, that's when I get a little bit legalistic, right? That's when I do make it the first thing. One other thing, practical point about paying our tithes first. Work, my advice for you, right? Work on becoming a tither before you start thinking about building on these other bricks. Before you start looking for giving in other ways, work on becoming a tither first. I'm going to use Jay as an illustration here, and I'm going to assume he agrees with me, and he's going to nod and say amen a few times, and then if he disagrees, we'll, we'll fight about it over lunch. But I'm just going to use him as an illustration here. I said we send Jay a modest gift every month. We send Jay 40 bucks every month. Jay has a lot of churches that support him, and a lot of them give way more than we do a month, and a lot of them give way less than we do, I would imagine, every month. We send him 40 bucks. That's not much. But that's part of how he raises support for his ministry and part of how he supports his family. Here's the thing. If after church today, you go up to Jay and you're talking with Jay and the Lord moves upon you, you pull out your checkbook. I don't know, does anybody even really use a checkbook anymore? But anyhow, you, you write him a check for $1,000. Jay's gonna say hallelujah. He's, he's gonna receive that and the grace and the glory that I like. That's an, he's, gonna, he's gonna have a witness in his spirit over that anointing right there. And that's great. We're gonna celebrate that. But I believe that Jay, like most missionaries, philosophically, he would rather that every one of you become faithful tithers first. And here's why. If everybody in this church tithed 10%, our budget would go through the roof. And then we wouldn't be sending him 40 bucks a month anymore. We'd be sending him 500 bucks a month. We'd send him a thou a month just because he let me use him for this illustration, right? <laughs> and Jay, wouldn't you rather that this church and every other church on your list sent you 500 bucks, a thou a month, 2,000 a month? Wouldn't you rather that than getting a $1,000 check one time, right? Work on the foundation. It busts the doors open on everything else. Here's another important part of the tithing method. Let God choose where. Let God choose where. People sometimes mistakenly assume that the idea of tithing is 10% is my total giving capacity. And so we split it up and, and we pick our favorite ministry, our favorite charity, our favorite missions, a little bit here, a little bit there, and it all adds up to 10%. But as I read the Bible, I don't think that's tithing. That's giving, which is a very good thing, right? I'm not telling you these other things are bad things. It's giving, and giving is good, but it's not tithing. It's not tithing. God instructed us to tithe. 
See, when most of society in the ancient world, when our Bible was written, most of the society, it was, agri- it was agrarian. They were, they were, the tithe was crops. It was produce. It was food. It was livestock. And so much of the tithe actually would be eaten. Wouldn't you love to eat our tithe? Right? But that's how they did it in the ancient world. They would eat it. They would consume it as a meal. Some people wanted to celebrate that meal. Say, hey, if we're going to eat our tithe... Can't we just do that like on Saturday night? Can, can we do it on Sunday afternoon during the Bears game? Like, can't we do that when or where we choose? We promise we'll pray first. And that was kind of the, the idea at the time. But God said, no, that's not how I want that to work. Deuteronomy chapter 12, he says in verse 18, instead you are to eat them, eat, eat the tithe in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. Let God choose where? Let God choose where. And where he chose, spoiler alert, he called them to worship at the temple. He said, I want you to gather in community. And where you are gathered, this is the principle, where you are gathered in community, that's where I want you to tithe. That's what he said. Where you are gathered in community, that's where I want you to tithe. You can give other places. But where you are gathered in community, that's where I want you to tithe. Now, admittedly, there is no single verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt pay thy tithes only to thine local church. But I think the story demonstrates tithing is an acknowledgement, just like Abram did. I'm acknowledging that God has blessed me, and I'm acknowledging the conduit, I like that word, the conduit that he has used to bless me. This is the place where I'm covered, so this is where I'm going to tithe. Here's how that might work at HRCC. Sometimes when we bring Jay in or another missionary, folks say, I want to give to that. And I like that. I like that heart. But sometimes because people don't understand the method behind the tithe and how it works, they aren't really well equipped to do that. So let's say somebody writes as their giving habit. Every Sunday they come with a $100 gift. That's their offering. That's their tithe. $100 to HRCC, $100 to HRCC, $100 to HRCC. And then the fourth week of the month, Jay shows up. Someone says, Urban Outreach, that's awesome. They get out their checkbook. They write that $100 check, but they write on there, Dan said we could give to the missionary. So they write $50 for HRCC and $50 to Jay. Well, here's what we do with that. We make sure Jay gets that 50 bucks. It's part of his, his special offering. But I want you to see the way the tithe works. I appreciate your heart when you do that. But you haven't actually done anything. And here's why. We're going to pay Jay anyhow. You know what I'm saying? We pay our missionaries. We put out money into our missionaries that far exceeds what comes in when the plate is passed. And so we were going to give Jay that money anyhow. So when the tithe gets split up and designated, it doesn't really affect the bottom line. And that's why I said when those bricks were up here, build on the foundation. Build on the foundation first. In fact, when we take our tithe and begin to split it up instead of $100 to the church, I'm going to go 50 to the church and I'm going to go 50 to the missionary. What we're doing is we're exercising some control and authority over the tithe that the Bible says, I don't want you to have. I want you to pay it. I want you to pay it. It's not yours. It's God's. Just pay it. Pay it and trust that God will use it where he wants. So that's just a practical way that that works. By the way, because I don't want to pick on Jay all morning, Garrett and I have talked about this. When we start raising funds for Garrett's church, don't give to that church unless you're tithing. If you're not a tither, the best way that you can support Garrett's church plant is to tithe to your church. 
because we are going to fund that church plant like crazy. If you're not a tither, the best way you can support that church plant is to tithe to your home church. Now, if you're already tithing to your home church, then maybe God's going to use you to give more directly to that. And that's where some of that fundraising is going to come in. But God doesn't give us the option of choosing where our tithe goes. He says, pay your tithe. Pay your tithe. And then you can get into the fun part about making some choices, deciding to support, chasing some passions. Last principle I want to talk about today might be the most important of all of them. So I saved it for the end where I had almost no time to talk about. That was not a wise choice. Make it an obligation rather than a choice. This is not the verse that I referenced in your outline, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That verse was written by the Apostle Paul to a New Testament church about 20 years after Jesus died. That verse comes up often when people have questions about tithing. That verse and a handful of others like it. Doesn't the Bible say the Lord loves a cheerful giver? So why are we being compelled? Why is my arm being twisted behind my back by the pastor saying you got to pay your tithes? Um, Doesn't the Bible say each one should give what they have in their hearts to give? So if that's what the Bible says, why, pastor, are you always preaching 10%? 10%, it's got to be 10%. I'm not being legalistic, but it's got to be 10%. People will bring that verse up and they question, they question, doesn't this mean that really what's what's important to God is our intent or our attitude in our giving rather than what the, you know, the actual bottom line is? Let me just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says no. (laughs) It says no. That verse that I just read, Lord loves a cheerful giver, give it what you have in your heart to give. That verse that I just read was written to a church that had already paid their tithes. It was written to a church that had already paid their tithes. It was written to a church that was now being told there's a missionary that's gonna come next month. And when he comes, I want you to be prepared to give extra to him because this missionary is serving some people who are going through a difficult time and we'd like to take up a collection for them. So since you have already paid your tithe, let me give you this note. Each one of you should give what you have in your hearts to give. Not under compulsion, but you're going to have an opportunity to give and do so cheerfully. And we try and model that. You've heard me say it, but maybe it's been too subtle. You've heard me say it when I say, so what we'd like you to do when our missionary friend comes is give above and beyond your habitual tithes and offerings. Whatever you have. Whatever you're able to, whatever the Lord moves upon you. Same thing for the church plan. Whatever God leads or gives you the opportunity to give, do it. But that comes after your tithes are paid. It comes after your tithes are paid. So the tithe isn't about deciding in your heart how much. God has already decided. The tithe isn't about, and I know this doesn't sound right, but it's not about giving cheerfully. God never tells us to tithe cheerfully. Can I just be real with you? I'm not always cheerful when I tithe. There have been times in my life when I've really struggled with sitting down and writing that check. It's not always fun. I wish I had better news for you today, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not always fun. It's not always, yay, I get to get rid of 10% of my paycheck. That's not a fun thing all the time. But you know what? 
in the habit of it, in the obedience of it, in the faithfulness of it, there is a blessing that I cannot compare to anything else. That I can't compare to anything else. That's, that cheerful thing is not what the Bible has to say about tithing. Here's what the Bible does say about tithing. The prophet Malachi wrote to a, a community of God's people that knew they had grown distant from the Lord. And he said this to them. God is saying to you, return to me and I will return to you. But you're asking, how are we to return? Here's the answer. Is a mere mortal going to rob God? But you robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? And God says, in tithes. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. Your whole nation is under a curse because you are robbing me. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will never be room enough to store it. The Bible says that failing to pay a tithe is tantamount to robbing God. And that's because God didn't intend for us to think of tithing as an optional method of giving. He intended it to be an obligation. Something that we do before we start to make choices about how we're going to give. It was something that he wanted first. Okay, could everybody just breathe with me? We did it. We did it. On your way out, you're going to get a sticker that says, I survived Dan's sermon on tithing. That's not true. Look, this is not the most exciting sermon that I've ever preached. But I'm okay with that today. You know why? Tithing isn't really supposed to be an exciting topic. It's not exciting. I have only known a few people, and they're pretty weird, who are like, tithing is so cool. <laughs> it's not supposed to. So if you don't feel excited now, that's okay. That's okay. You're in, you're in good company. It's not supposed to be an exciting topic, but there's such a blessing. There is such a blessing in knowing these things. And I want HRCC to be a healthy church. I want HRCC to be properly poised to receive the blessings that God has for us. I want the households that make up this church family to be living their best life, right? And the Bible shows us that the discipline of tithing is such an important part of that equation. So I'm going to leave you with a couple of specific challenges. I'm going to speak to a couple of specific groups of people here in this room. I want to speak to new believers, newer believers. You know, some of us grew up in the church. One of the things I'm most grateful in my life is as far back as I can remember, my parents taught me to tithe. When I, the first dollar I earned in my allowance, I gave, I gave a dime of it to the church, right? And I was too young to know the difference. Ignorance is bliss. So when I got older and started making a paycheck, I tithed. I tithed on it because I learned early on. Some of us are like that. We've grown up in the church. It's just been a thing we do and we, we hardly even notice it anymore. But some of us are newer believers and we're going, you tell me I'm supposed to drop 10% of my paycheck in the offering when it goes by? Here's my word for you. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Start now. Start now. I think there's a lie in our minds. I'm sure the enemy puts it there that says it'll get easier later. This is for later. This is, this is as you get more mature and more developed. That's a lie. Start now. It's never going to be easier than it is today. Wherever you are in your finances, start now. Start now. It's never going to be easier to start 
than it is today. Here's the other group of people, or one other group of people that I want to talk to. It's young people. When I say young, you can define that in your own terms, but I'm talking to people my age and younger. My age and younger. Here's the reality, Gen X, millennials. We stink at this. We do not tithe. And that statistic is nationwide, but I can tell you it's also specific to HRCC. Somewhere in our culture, there was a lie that was told to us that was, you don't have to start making sacrifices until you get on your feet. And I see that lie in my generation and the generations that have come behind me. I see it play out in a lot of different ways. But the fact of the matter is, our church-going parents, they tithed when they were our age. And they tithed when they were a lot younger than we are now. But Gen X, Gen Y, my age and younger, we stink at this. And it's time for us to get on the ball. It's time for us to start living the way God intends us to live. We have shut off the valve of God's blessings in our lives. Is the world different today than it was a generation ago? Yeah, it is. But let's stop complaining and and just step into some obedience here. I want to speak to the young people and give you that word. And I like that I included myself among the young people there. The last segment that I want to speak to, maybe this is a surprise to you. It's the wealthy people. Wealthy people, on the whole, statistically, across the nation, you don't tithe nearly as well as your poor neighbors do. Surprising, isn't it? But underprivileged people are statistically much better tithers than wealthy people. Do you know this nation, church-going nation, was far better at tithing during the Great Depression than we are today? So the whole, I don't have enough or I'll tithe when I have enough thing, that argument just doesn't hold water, statistically speaking. It just doesn't hold water. And, you know, we might be surprised because I think those of us, uh, I'm going to include myself in every group here just so I don't, you don't feel like I'm pointing fingers. But if, if you make a little less, you probably look at somebody who makes a little more and you think, man, it must be easy for them to tithe. But here's the deal. If you're making 20 grand a year, your tithe is $2,000. And that might feel like a lot, but your neighbor who makes 200 grand a year, their tithe is 20,000, their tithe is your entire paycheck. If you're struggling to tithe $2,000, think of how much struggle you're gonna have with $20,000. The whole, I'll do it later because it'll get easier when I have more, doesn't work. Doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. So I wanna speak again to the wealthy people. I think that I've thought about this a little bit. I think folks that are struggling financially have an easier time recognizing that everything they do have, however meager it might be, man, that was a gift from God. I didn't know I was going to eat last week, but God provided. And that's the heart that is ripe for the discipline of tithing. And sometimes when we have a little bit more, we can fall victim to the lie that I have more because I got some skills. I work hard to earn And that hard attitude can be a barrier towards the discipline of tithing. So I hope you'll hear those messages. I I didn't say that with anybody in particular in mind. If you feel like I'm preaching right into your heart right now, I'm not. I'm not. I didn't go through your records as an individual and try and think, oh, who's going to be there Sunday? And who can I really make feel guilty? I'm just talking about how the statistics look and what's going on. But I think there's an opportunity for us here. As I said, we're going to talk about those other bricks a lot more 
in the coming months than you've ever heard me talk about them before. So it's important that we have an opportunity to address, to address the foundation first. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your blessings and the many ways that they are expressed. We pray, Lord, that you would be kind and gentle with your people as you lead us into a faithful obedience to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen.